it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Top of the table. How are you? I am fucking fantastic. Top of the table, and we upset Roy Hodgson. It, it doesn't come much better than that, but if you wanted to get a little bit better than that, Carl... Arsenal lost to Aston Villa. Manchester United got pumped at home by Bournemouth. And Man City, despite a win, found out that Luton's not a fun place to go. So all in all, it was a pretty good weekend to be a Red. Uh, We should start with the fact that we're top of the table, though. Let's start there. I do want to start that we're top of the table, but I want to extrapolate that, let's say. Now, I just want people to cast their minds back. I think this would be about three weeks, something like that. I was basically held at gunpoint on this very show, people will remember, and told, told that if we weren't winning all these games and getting all these points, that I would be held personally responsible for bad results, bad performance, misfortune, beach balls, pigeons, whatever else happened, it was all going to be on me. So Dave, and Guy for that matter, because he might be in the background, he might be silent to some listeners. I can fucking assure you all he's not off the off the record. So, Luton, fair enough. We drew. It was a bad performance, but we got a last-minute equaliser. And as you've just said, a lot of teams have since found out it's not a nice place to go. And I don't just mean that in a footballing sense. Uh, Man City, again, we drew. We didn't win that game, but fine. But it was away against champions of, you know, everything. And they're a pretty good side. Uh, Sheffield United, we won. Away from home, and we won. And we hadn't really done that too much. And Crystal Palace... We've now been there and we've won again. Dave, would you like to retract anything or would you like to indeed update it with the complete 180 opinion of what's going on here? So what you want to get credit for is four poor performances and four points dropped against teams not playing well. That's what you want. You want credit for this. We'll be a championship time. I mean, look, I'm not sure. United are garbage. Crystal Palace are garbage. Luton are garbage, and Manchester City, when we played them, were in the midst of their joint worst run under Pep. Might have been the start of their... It was the second game of their joint worst run under Pep. Like, what do you want credit for? We haven't played well (laughs) once in those games. This is my point. This is my point. I don't want credit. What I want is to also not be the fucking blame for all of these things. Not at all. Not at all. We were playing really well until you went to the Luton game. 
Well, I'm not going again until the new year. So if we if we happen to be back in sparkling, scintillating form, home and away across the Christmas and New Year run, I'll reconsider your complaints. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, fair is fair. Fair is fair. Um, we have we have we have broken some of your jinx, some of it, but the performance level. I'm still holding you personally responsible for that. Um, on the weekend, Carl, we obviously upset the owl man. We went one nil down. Took a very long time to clear to to, to give that penalty. Then AU gets sent off, and that's what really upsets everybody. Then Salah scores, then Elliot scores. The the game changed really on the AU red card. I think it's it's fair to say. What was what was the feeling in the ground when he got that second jello? Was it like why is he getting a second jello here? He hasn't been booked. What's because like his first one obviously is for blocking a free kick that's been taken or having it kicked against him, whichever way you want to look at it. But he hasn't backed up the required amount. And by the rule book, it is a yellow card. The second one is a stonewall yellow card as you're ever going to see. I have a tough time finding why people complain about it when he's committed two very blatant yellow card offences. We were obviously annoyed after the Spurs game when Jota got sent off for two yellow card offences. But we were mostly annoyed with Jota. I'm struggling with how Crystal Palace fans aren't just mostly annoyed with AU. You knew you were booked. Hmm. So what are you jumping in? What are you making that tackle for? You made no attempt to get the ball. And the only excuse I can come up with is maybe he forgot he'd been booked. Um, my answer to that would be don't <laughs> N- nothing really other to say other than that to be honest um, um, to be honest at the exact moment when he was getting called over I think bemusement was one um, that I would I would use to describe the um, the general populace uh, of the home fans and, and how they were sort of out looking they were like hey how is that even a foul and then of course there were complaints but uh, it's an obvious yellow card like you say I don't really understand any post replay at the very least gripes that could be had with that yellow card like it wasn't a terrible tackle like it wasn't like a a a hatchet man's red card sort of waiting to happen accident kind of thing it was just just one of them ones that people do two three times a game when they haven't already been booked you know it's commonly referred to as taking one for the team Mm. but if you have well then you're getting a second one because that is just a yellow you've gone through You've taken him sort of from the side behind. You've not got the ball. It, it stopped a counterattack. It's like a very, very obvious yellow. Like yeah. it's not a bad yellow, but it's a yellow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. And when you're already on a yellow and you get a second yellow, you get sent off. That is just how the game is. Like take, for example, Villa Arsenal. Declan Rice gets away with pretty much the same challenge that got Ayo his second yellow card. Rice then goes and gets a yellow card later in the game, which had he been booked as he should have been for the first one, would have been a red card. But the likelihood is that he doesn't make that second challenge if he's already on a yellow. Like Ayo is, it's just a brain fart. Liverpool are breaking. There's a big, big gap behind him. He knows that if Elliot goes by him, Palace are in trouble. And he takes Elliot out. And he just can't have any complaints. We should also point out that we score, obviously, within 90 seconds or whatever it is. In the build-up to the Salah goal, as Curtis Jones lays it off, there is a horrendous challenge on him by Joel Ward, who'd already been booked And frankly, it could have been a straight red because it was wild and reckless, but it should at the very least have been a second yellow and he should have been off. And even if, first of all, I don't think the red card had anything to do with the goal whatsoever, basically. Like there there was no, because 
uh, AU wasn't there, Liverpool scored. Nothing to do with that whatsoever. Like, pressure eventually told. It just so happened that it was just after the red card. Mm. Like, maybe if we'd have equalised a different way or it comes down the flanks or, you know, whatever it is, maybe you can say so. But this goal didn't have anything to do with that. Also, had he not been sent off, had Salah not scored, had it not deflected in and all that sort of knock-on fortunate business had happened, it's still a penalty. Yeah. And, and as you say, a red card because he's already been booked. Yeah. So I don't really see any I don't really see any sympathy here and I don't really see any cause for complaint anywhere along the way because whatever way you look at it it's Palace's own mistake by one player or another player or another player and you know Liverpool were in that position through other means it wasn't like you know we got handed a penalty which shouldn't have been or something like that these were just No exactly disconnected events maybe there's nothing controversial about the decisions that were made in this game in the in the first half, there is the penalty that's given and then ruled out because there is a very clear foul on Maturo Endo. Yeah, it was correct. Which, as I've said this before, my belief is that when they are sent to the screen, they've been told this decision is getting overturned. I've never seen a referee go to the screen and come back and say, we're sticking with the on-field decision. Not once. My opinion is the only reason they go to the screen is so that they can make it look like it's their decision to overturn it, but it's already been overturned. And we saw in that instance a referee who did not want to overturn it. He did not want to overturn his on-field decision, and he had to be showed over and over and over again why it was a foul. And eventually the decision was overturned. The second one, the goal that they get, the penalty, like it's clearly a penalty. And it's frustrating that it takes so long for them to make the decision. I think when the referee, sorry, when the VAR is replaying that and not clearing it, the referee should be told, stop the game. Stop the game. We're reviewing this. It's going to take 60 seconds. So stop the game. Because what would have happened if we'd scored? Or what would have happened if we'd got we'd broken through and let's just say Anderson had hacked down one of our players and been sent off and was away off down the tunnel. Oh, but hang on a second. It's actually a penalty to Palace. So get Anderson back on and Liverpool player who's been hacked down and may or may not now be injured. Sorry, but it was actually a penalty from like four minutes ago. So stop the game. But the decision was correct. It was a penalty. Kwanzaa made no contact to the ball, did foul Mateta. It was a penalty. There, those two, plus the, the decision on the the um the red card, they're all the right decisions. It's just the process of getting to the first two was poor. And I'm not really sure how anybody could find reason to gripe with the outcome. We deserve to win that game, even though we were poor. We deserved to win the game. We were the only team that had ambition to win the game, highlighted by the fact, as I've said before, when they had that late flurry of set pieces, Remy Matthews started to come up for one of the corners and Hodgson frantically waved him back into his own goal because Hodgson didn't want to win the game or didn't want to get a point because the man has no ambition. And when he leaves the game, as he talked about in his post-match, no one will miss him. No one will miss Roy Hodgson. He's a dreadful, dreadful gang of lads. I think my, my favourite bit of the press uh, post-match press conference was when he suggested that it was unfortunate. Now, I'm going to paraphrase him. I don't want to make him look too bad. It sounds bad enough as it is. He, he suggested it was maybe not the best thing that um, you know post-match reports and all the rest of it would discuss the fact that Palace were losing, you know, or sorry, winning one out of five, one out of six, one out of seven, one out of eight, rather than focusing on the fact that they were one nil up with 15 minutes to go and have done in previous matches. I'll be honest, I'm yet to see any points awarded in any league anywhere in the history of football for the scoreline at 75 minutes. He didn't also suggest that we should talk about the fact it was nil nil up until they scored the penalty in our post-match reports. But clearly this is a, a very, very important sort of 15, 20 minutes or so of a match, which I, I have not got the experience yet that Roy has to, to understand why. He is just, he's just the worst. As I said to the lads on, on Raw, Carl, I, I'm convinced of this. If you go to Roy Hodgson's house 
there are trophies everywhere. And if you go and look at, and you would think if you didn't know, geez, this must be one of the most successful managers in the history of football. There's little mini Premier League trophies everywhere. But if you go and look at them, the inscription reads, kept Fulham in the Premier League, kept Palace in the Premier League, kept West Brom in the Premier League. His, his view is that the only thing he needs to do each and every season is keep the team in the division. And that if he does that, it's job done. That there should be no ambition to do anything more than that. And this is where we look at, you know, during the week, obviously, they lose 2-0 at home to, to Bournemouth, um, which in, in hindsight looks a better result now that Bournemouth have gone and smashed United 3-0. And it could have been 5 or 6. But for him to come out and say that the fans had been spoiled with their one home win this season. Like, it just shows that the guy has no ambition. So for him, he'll convince himself that the fact that they were 1-0 up on 75 somehow means something. As if the game doesn't last, well, in this case, 98 or 99 minutes. That that the only thing that matters is if we can go ahead... Like, if they'd been 1-0 up after six minutes and we'd scored in the 12th minute, I guarantee you that he would have talked up that as well. Well, we were 1-0 up for the first 10 minutes. But that's not how the game works, Roy. I I did I give know. some very, very brief consideration to rewriting my piece to suggest that Palace had won 1-0 and just to see how it would go down. But I thought maybe not enough people would have uh, heard his uh, post-match press, and so I stayed clear of that in the end. But, you know, talking about Crystal Palace in 14th place and level with 11th place Brentford and all the rest of these things that didn't actually occur, it, it did appeal for a little while. Yeah, yeah. You could have written that in this two-legged game, Palace lost 2-1, but they did win the first game, being the first 75 minutes. Um one nil, and then in the second shorter game, which according to Roy Hodgson is less important, uh, Liverpool actually won two nil, and therefore take the game two one on aggregate. Uh, so we are top, Carl. We're a point clear of Arsenal, two clear of Villa, four clear of Spurs of of City, and now seven clear of Spurs. We have Manchester United at home, then we have Arsenal home, then we go to Burnley. And then we have Newcastle home. Now, they're all tricky games for different reasons. United, just because it's the rivalry, but we'll talk more about that game in the week. Arsenal then obviously are second in the league and they're they're a good team. Now, they've got Brighton before they play us, so they could well drop points there. Burnley will be tough purely because it's away and it's Boxing Day and it's just always a bit of an odd fixture on Boxing Day and they're desperate for points and yada, 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 all the rest, but we should win that one. And then the tune at home. And Newcastle, Carl, Newcastle have looked appalling in their last two games. Hammered by Everton, hammered by, by Tottenham. Now they play Milan. Then they play the greatest attacking force known in football history, Fulham, who've scored 16 goals in their last four games, having scored 10 in the previous 12. Then they go to Luton, which won't be easy at all. Then they play Forest home, and then they come to us. That game could be very difficult, or it could be quite straightforward, depending on which Newcastle turns up. If the one that turned up yesterday against Spurs rocks up to Anfield, we should beat them quite comfortably. But I am marking that down as a tough game. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... 
over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Where do you expect us to be after these four games? How many how many points are you looking at and thinking that's that's a good return? Um I think 12 would be good. I know that's um a little a little obvious, but I think the only way we can say good is 12 points. I think if we take I, if we take 10, I would say that that's par. And if we take 12, I think that's good. I wouldn't consider anything other than a ferocious battering of Manchester United as good. Nothing that's else. That's fair. That's right? fair. Because you include the rivalry, you include the context, you include where they are right at this minute and what we did to them last season. And we weren't in the greatest of moments last season, let's be fucking honest. Yeah, and we, we were dreadful. Them. We absolutely annihilated them. So I expect nothing other than the same again. Arsenal is obviously going to be its own game. And I think that that will be really, really tough. I don't expect Liverpool to lose. But beyond that, I find it at the moment very tricky to think exactly how it will go. In part because we have played really poorly for quite a number of matches now. Mm. Um, So I will leave that one for a little bit more consideration. Also, there's a slightly different aspect in that. There's six days between um, Man United and Arsenal matches. But obviously we have... Uh, West Ham to play in that gap as well. So how strong we go with West Ham, I think, will really impact on what we're capable of doing against Arsenal. On the plus side, all three games are at home, as we've spoken about before. Yeah. Burnley away, we should win. That's that's really all I have to say on that. Um, it'll be a tough game, and they're definitely more confident now. Two games down the line, maybe that'll be the case, maybe not. Um, but either way, I think that that has to be looked at as a win. And obviously at home against Newcastle, a win. Right, even if they've got some players back, that should be a win for them. Yeah. Unless they happen to buy four players before the December cutoff and then they can all play on the first, we should win that. So would you you would say then the the only game in which it's acceptable to maybe end up with a draw is Arsenal? Like taking the West Ham game out of things. Win United win Burnley, win Newcastle, but a draw against Arsenal and that would be, that's fair enough. Like if we, if given where we are at the moment with, with some of the form and some of the injuries that we have, if we get a draw, like that's because that's kind of where I am as well, is that I, I look at it and think, right, well, we should win against United and Newcastle at home. We should just beat them, especially United who are dreadful. And we should go and beat Burnley. But I feel like if we beat Arsenal, that might just send them into a little bit of a spiral. Now, they have West Ham a few days later. West Ham, obviously, are very hit and miss. Then they go to Fulham. And those just could be two tricky enough games. They've got a tricky run coming with Brighton home, us away, West Ham home, Fulham away. That's not easy. And you could see them potentially dropping points in one of the other games. And let's just say that they draw one of those games and we beat them. Then our one point lead becomes a five point lead over them. I think Villa are actually going to jump them over the next four games. But it would just be a big psychological thing. If after we play Newcastle, if we beat Newcastle, we look at it and we're five points clear on January 1st. And then we have basically a three-week break. I know we play them in the FA Cup. I'm happy to punt on the FA Cup this year. I would rather us focus on the league, the Europa League, and I would have said the EFL Cup, and I still kind of think the EFL Cup, if it wasn't for the fact that it is Arsenal just a couple of days later. 
But like, I'm not at all bothered by that FA Cup game. If we can get through Newcastle, we don't play again until the 21st, at which point we could have added to our squad and we could be looking a really, really good bet to go and win our second Premier League title under Jurgen Klopp. I mean, there is so much to do before, obviously, that happens. That mm. and We've already said that Man City are going to get so much better. Let's say February onwards, we completely expect that. Yes. But I do think there would need to be a little bit of gap, but sure, we, we didn't expect to be in this position at the minute. I didn't expect to be in the position this season by where the only game we've lost is one where a goal was disallowed where it shouldn't have been in the last minute against a crap team in an irrelevant match and a terrible competition. And the other one being when we had nine men in the last minute through an own goal. And we had a perfectly good goal ruled out through incompetence. That too. You know, like as, as we sit here, we should be unbeaten across the board this season. And that, when you consider how many games we've played, that's a remarkable thing. When you consider that Manchester United this season have played 23 games, won 11, drawn one and lost 11 and have a negative five goal differential. And last season they finished above us. When you consider what we've done this season, we should all be very, very happy with how things are going. And I agree with your point about City. They will kick on in about February time. Now, after the Newcastle game, our league games are Bournemouth away, Chelsea home, Arsenal away, then Burnley at home. And that gets us to mid-February when normally City kick on. If we were to go and run the table there with maybe, say, one draw, potentially away to Arsenal, which I think would be a good result, considering we won't have, in all likelihood, we won't have Salah for that game. That would leave us in a really strong position because for right now, we're four points clear of City. City's run in this time, Palace at home. Brentford game is is postponed because they're away to the World Club Cup. They have to go to Everton, which I kind of feel could be a banana skin for them because Everton are playing really well and would be top half if they hadn't cheated. Then they play Sheffield United. Then they have to go to Newcastle, which will be very tough. Then they play Burnley, then they play Brentford, then they play um, Everton. Now, it feels to me, and and they'll have a game in hand, but it feels to me, Carl, like we could get to mid-February eight, nine points ahead of them. They would have a game in hand, but we would have a lead. And at that point, if we've done what's needed in January, we'd be in a really strong position, like a really, really strong position. We'd have Arsenal away out of the way. We've already been to Spurs. We've been to Chelsea. We've been to Newcastle. We've been to City. We've been to Brighton. Like we have most of our tough away games done already. And the Arsenal game is early February. And our, our run-in is a bit more straightforward, I think, than City's. Like, City still have to, would still have to play Arsenal last the last game in March. They have Villa then a couple of days later. We have Villa away second last game of the season, which would be really tough. But fingers crossed, we go into that game five points clear. And we don't need to win it. And then we can just wrap the title up in the last game. Like... <laughs> We're getting ahead of, I'm getting ahead of myself, you're not. I'm getting ahead of myself here. But I do feel like if we can get through these next four games and get to the turn of the year with potentially a seven or eight point lead over City and then maintain that until their good run starts, I I really do feel like we have an opportunity to win this title. Because I I don't think Arsenal can win the league. I don't think you can win the league with a goalkeeper as poor as what they're putting out there with a midfield that lacks any real balance. And with the front four or front front three who aren't scoring from open play, they have six non-penalty goals between Saka, Jesus and Martinelli in the league this season. One of them should have been tagged as an own goal, the Martinelli strike against City. 
I think they've got too many flaws to win the title this season. I know we've got flaws, but I went through this on the Daily Red today. Everyone has flaws. I think we might have the least flaws and the easiest ones to correct. Yeah, fair. Um, I mean, you are getting ahead of yourself. No question about it. But also, we've put ourselves in a position where people can get ahead of themselves. Like, we wouldn't be discussing this if we were in the battle for fourth with Spurs and Man United and Newcastle. That's the point of this. We're, we're like maybe as many as nine or 10 points above where other people might have expected us to be at this stage. And that's a really, really good thing. So I, I have no problem with discussing it and, and, and it being a thing, because obviously that does mean that we are top and we're in a really good position. I think it's, I think it's going to be very, very instructive where we are, let's say by the time we play Arsenal in the FA Cup, like it's not all that far from now. It's a month, but there's some massive, massive games, and basically our future in three competitions is going to be decided by that point. You know, all right, we already know that we're going to be top of the Europa League, but will we have further domestic cup commitments or not? One month from now, it's already going to be decided. So that plus potential transfers plus the gap between ourselves and Man City with them going away and having that game in hand as a result, all of these things I think are going to have a massive, massive weighting uh, on what we eventually do. Plus, obviously, the fact that we do play Arsenal twice in that spell. And if mm. you're looking at the rest of the title challenges, if we've beat them home and away in the league and in the FA Cup, I mean, first of all, unfortunately, my, my, my partner might not be speaking to me anymore in the new year, so there's that. But aside from that, it would be pretty strong sentiment to put out to them. Yeah, you've improved loads. You're still not as good as we are. And we're rebuilding. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they're pretty much... They, they don't have much left that they can improve without starting to spend huge money on, you know, a Jesus upgrade, a new goalkeeper, a defensive midfielder so Rice can go back to playing his natural position on the left of the three, a left-back upgrade, a Gabriel upgrade at centre-back. Like, they've... What, what they would have to do, they're all the real expensive pieces. We've kind of got all our expensive pieces done. We need that defensive midfielder. But, you know, our upgrade at left-back doesn't need to be a hugely expensive player. 40, 45 million probably gets that done. I, I think we need a left-winger. Um, but, you know, again, it, it it's not like it's not a nine. You're not looking to buy a number nine. 16 games into last season, Carl. Arsenal were top with 40 points. City were second with 38. Newcastle were third with 33. Then it was Spurs on 29. United on 28. Brighton on 27. And we were seventh with 26 points. So we're 11 points better off. uh, Arsenal are four points worse off. City are five points worse off. Newcastle are seven points worse off. Spurs are one point better off, and yet the feeling around Spurs is so much more positive than it was 12 months ago, which is sort of funny. Uh, United are one point worse off, which will tell you that their top four finish last season was not as impressive as people made it out to be. They were fairly average, and we're just very fortunate that Spurs collapsed. Uh, Brighton are one point worse off. But we're 11 points better off. That is an enormous swing. An enormous swing. Good to see Chelsea being worse. They had 22 points at this point last year, and they have 19 now. So that's well done to Chelsea. 41 points um, between your first 16 this season and first 16 last season. Uh, That billion quid looking like money well spent. On the topic of how to improve this Liverpool team, Carl, with January just around the corner, how many signings would you, Carl Matchett, Liverpool manager, be looking to make in this window? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me 
and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. One. Just one. One. What position would that signing be for? Hold a midfield. Okay. If we decided who it is and we knew who it was going to be, whether it was in January or in December, that was January or December, January or summer, it would be just do it now if you can. Yeah. Yeah. So you wouldn't look to bring in another centre-back with the Matip ACL. You'd be looking at just, you know, Kwanzaa Gomez as the backup to um, to Virgil and Ibu. Yes. Okay. Um, well, my best friend, now some people will call him a spoofer. I don't get into that type of thing. But Fabrizio Romano has said that he has been told that Liverpool are talking to to Joe Polina's representatives. Now, Joe Polina's agent is his brother, I think it is, um, who only represents him, doesn't have any other clients. But he's not the representative that will organise and arrange a transfer for Joe Polina. That man would be George Mendes. And George Mendes, we have a decent relationship with, we've done business with in recent years. George Mendes is also somebody who feeds information to Romano, which is why Romano knows what's going on at Wolves before, well, everybody, including the Wolves manager at times. So there is a possibility that Romano has solid information directly from Mendes on this. Now, Joao Polini is 28 years of age, will turn 29 in the summer. And the rumoured price is around 50 to 55 million. Now, normally, I would say you don't pay that type of money for a player of his age. However, number one, he doesn't have a huge amount of minutes in his legs over his career. His career minutes are about the average career minutes of a 25-year-old. Number two, he doesn't really ever get injured. And number three, the Saudi Pro League has given the Premier League this wonderful out clause for bad contracts and aging players. So if I said to you, we could sign Joe Polina in January for 55 million, potentially get, you know, two and a half good years out of him, and then maybe one decent year where he starts to decline at the age of, you know, as, as he gets ready to turn 32, and then we could shift him on to Saudi. And let's say recoup 25, 30 million. Is there any real downside to that? And do you think he is the right fit in this team to elevate us to win this title? I mean, he has a lot of traits that I like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of them. Mm. And the first of those would be that he's massive. Yes. And I sometimes think that we do lack not just the physicality which we definitely do this season in midfield we lack we lack a bit of let's say upper body strength at times but also aerial ability like we don't really have anybody at all in midfield areas now who is good at quite consistently winning headers um even when we had a few bigger players to be honest and even now the ones that are left dom is pretty big not really a heading guy gakpo not sure he's ever used his upper body as a, as a strength thing we need somebody else in there who's good at that. And of course, in both defensive and attack and penalty boxes, that's a, a real asset offset plays as well. So that's really good. He's not necessarily as metronomic as you want someone to be in midfield if, if they're you know playing in a very possession-based side. But 
on the other hand, you've got to measure that against the fact that he's not playing in a massively possession-based side. So mm. the requirements on him are not that. So if the the plan is basically to continue with A6 and then Trent moving in as a second six, therefore you have that passing range in that area of the pitch, that's not really an issue either way anyway. Um, I love the fact that he's very good at driving forward from deep. I really like the fact that he is so happy to... Uh, play quite, I wouldn't say like tricky or massively creative passes, but definitely lower percentage passes when he's moving into the final third at times. Um, he's not afraid to take on a shot. He's not someone who's going to, you know, beat players, but he's a good ball carrier. I think when when space yeah. opens up ahead of him, he's pretty quick at breaking through, um, you know, a little 10, 15 yard gap that overcommits somebody else. You lay off, blah, 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 on it goes. So I do think he's good at starting um, attacking moves from that material. Um technically from a defensive standpoint is very, very good. And there's not really any way to say about it. Like he's, he's one of the best or most regular tacklers mm. um, is interceptions. Positional players is, is pretty good as well. Like I said, his aerial stuff is, is excellent. Um, never ever afraid to make a Jordan AU esque foul when he doesn't have a yellow card already. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's lots and lots that we could use from his game. No question. He's not, ridiculously rapid we have to acknowledge that um he's not going to solve every single aspect that we have especially in terms of like playing it down the channels i'm not sure uh about let's say the covering aspect at center back because again fulham don't really play like that but when Kanate or whoever it is now is dragged out to that right hand side usually we'll now look to one of our center back uh, central midfielders to fill in that gap centrally we don't see him do that too much with fulham he does a bit more with portugal at times so yeah again that's uh that's an aspect that, for example, Endo has taken a little bit of time to get on board, but I think Endo is now much better at the stepping up, pressing part of the number six game for us and a little bit better at the, the dropping back in. So I'd assume Palinia would do all right there too. If you're talking about 30 million transfer net spend on this one player for three years, I would take it. Yeah, I, I very much would as well. And, you know... You're right when you say he doesn't play in a in a heavy possession based team, but we also can look back to when he was in Portugal, and he was at Braga on loan, playing under Ruben Amram, and then he became absolutely vital for Amram at Sporting when Amram took over and, and made him a foundational part of a team that would go on and win the title. And they did play possession-based style. And look, all I want him to do, and all I think he needs to do in our team, win the ball back and give it to one of the lads that can play. If If we're playing a box midfield of him, Trent, Alexis and Dominic, all he needs to be able to do is win the ball back and give it to one of the three of them. Or if he wants to get a little bit ambitious, give it wide to Mo. We have enough lads that can do the creative on-ball stuff. All we really need him to do is win the ball back and give it to them. In a double pivot with Trent, you'd also give him a bit of license to get forward. And we've seen since he's joined Fulham and at at, at Braga and at Sporting, he, he can be a bit of a goal threat. Like He's got six goals for Fulham in 55 games which is pretty good. Uh, he got six and 66 for Braga. He got five in 77 for um, for Sporting in, in a second spell there. Like, they're not massive numbers, but compare and contrast to three goals in the last 100 games from Jordan Henderson. You know, it's still an uptick. And he'd get more opportunities in our team. And we've seen him be a threat with long-range shooting, which is, is is a good addition. He's obviously an enormous human being who's great in the air. So he'd be a big threat from set pieces as well, or just getting in the box and maybe getting on the end of a cross from Andy Robertson. And as I look at our double pivot, if Trent is right side and Paulinho's left side, that helps because 
Andy Robertson tends to abandon the defensive side to bomb forward and provide the overlapping option. And if Polina can do that thing of just dropping a little bit deeper between the centre-backs, allowing Virgil to go across a bit more to the left, it should make us a lot more solid. And then Trent and Alexis could almost play as a double pivot in front of him as a recycling double pivot, allowing Dominic to join the attack, Robbo to join the attack, and the front three to be there. So we could almost have like a three-man defensive block, two sitting in front of them to recycle and protect a little bit, and then five committed to the attack. Not all the time, obviously, but it would create a different look for us, something that we don't have at the moment. And I feel like at that price, like we should have signed him a couple of years ago when he was available for 20 million, but we didn't. But at that price, I just feel like it's a little bit too good to turn down because it's something we desperately need. And I always look at smart clubs and what who are smart clubs looking for? And Bayern Munich are one of the smartest clubs in Europe. And they tried desperately to sign him in the summer. So they weren't put off by his age. Now, the Bundesliga is easier to play in than the Premier League and whatever else. But they weren't put off by his age. So I feel like, you know, we're not out here on an island where, you know, it's it's like us and a bunch of mediocre teams looking at him. Top clubs are looking at him. Arsenal, Bayern. He was linked to Chelsea recently as well, which would just be hilarious. And he's been linked to United, which he should avoid like the plague. But like, it doesn't feel like this is us reaching for a player that's not going to be capable. He's won a league title. He's played at the top level in Portugal, which is a good league to judge players on, to translate into the Premier League. We've seen a bunch of players make that jump and sustain a really high level. And I feel like he's come over to the Premier League He's been outstanding for Fulham. I love his attitude as well, because it would have been really easy for him to sulk after the Bayern move fell through. But he's been fantastic for them this year. Like, genuinely outstanding again. So it, it shows that he's got a strong mentality. And I feel like there's no real negative to a move for him because of the fact that in a few years, if he starts to decline, we can ship him to Saudi. Because George Mendes will bring him to Saudi because that's what George Mendes does with players. I I genuinely don't see... He's not my number one choice, but my number one choice is not going to be available in January. And if we weren't top and we didn't look like we've got a great chance of winning the title, I wouldn't be as adamant about this, but I really feel like this, this would be a big missed opportunity if we didn't go and get him and go all in. And even if we don't win the league... As long as we commit to trying to win it, that to me is a really positive sign. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN Make sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. 
Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. So two things just to um, not wrap up, but to certainly add context to this. Uh, you mentioned Bayern, obviously very, tried very, very hard to get him. So we should mention that that deal fell through, even out of medical and everything, um, because Fulham didn't get a replacement. That's the only reason that didn't go through in the end. They wanted one in before Palina went out. Um, I think it was McTominay they were trying to get in the end and they couldn't agree yeah. a, a fee or whatever it was with them. So Palina then fell through. Did he not then sign a new deal with them? And that's he where did. this release come from now? He did. He signed a new deal. And yeah. the, the, the reporting around it is that it contains an agreement to allow him to leave for a set price, which I assume is similar to when Alexis McAllister signed his new deal and it had an agreement that he could leave at a set price. Because this is the money you're talking about here is obviously a little bit cheaper than buying and paying in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's a possibility that agreement doesn't kick in till, till the summer. Alexis's didn't kick in till the summer. So maybe maybe it would be similar to what Bayern were looking to pay, which was about £65 million. But again, like if you win a league title and he plays an important role in that, it justifies paying the money. Do you know? It justifies paying the money. Plus, I suppose if we're talking in terms of Liverpool's squad and you know his age and all the rest of it, um, we've obviously just signed Matara Endo, same position, who's thirty, so you know he's older than him. There, it's not like mm. this is a very, very old uh, player that we're play uh, that we're signing, and obviously Henderson, Milner, Fabinho, all leaving this past summer in that area of the pitch, all played that role in the team. All of them are older than him, so again, this is still a reduction of the age, even if this is not a very, very young player himself. Exactly. And I, I, I just, I, I, again, you look at the career minutes and they're, they're not the career minutes of a player of his age. They're significantly lower. He doesn't have injury issues. Like in his entire career, he has missed one game for Fulham with a dislocated shoulder and he's missed 10 other games. One through the flu, four through coronavirus, and he's had one muscle injury in his entire career that he missed four games for. Five games for, sorry, five games for. And that's it. Like, that's it in his career. So yeah. you're not looking so at suspensions, that's had a not lot injuries is the issue there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, he has missed games through suspensions. That's, that's absolutely fair. Um, since joining Fulham, he's missed four games through suspensions. Last year, he missed three, all through yellow card suspensions. He has missed one game this season with a yellow card suspension. In his career, though, he's only ever been sent off, unless I'm missing something, he's only ever been sent off once, Carl. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, if he gets sent off as a defensive midfielder, it's, you know, there's usually a fairly good reason for it. And, Hopefully, even those yellow cards might not disappear because of the way he plays, but certainly reduce a little bit if we're not a team who's going to be quite as defensive um, required in terms of the number of interventions as he has been at Fulham. Yeah. I mean, he's currently sitting on under 22,000 career minutes, which isn't, isn't a huge amount at all, you know? And I, I just think, we look, we look too often at the age, but what we really need to look at is miles in the legs. Like you look at someone like Marcus Rashford, for example, he's already well over 26,000 minutes and he's not long-term 26 years of age. You know, so he's he's over four and a half. He's about four and a half thousand more than, um, than, than Joao Polina. And you, I think you can see it with, with Rashford. You've, we've seen a lot of injuries in recent years. And I think you're now seeing him start to stagnate a bit. We've seen it with Delhi Ali, obviously, as well. Now, there's other factors with Delhi, But 
you know, there's a lot of these younger players that are being hugely overplayed and burning out, whereas he doesn't look like he's going to burn out. Just as just for context, Jude Bellingham is 20 and he's pushing 15,000 minutes. Like that's two seasons worth of diff- of games between him and Paulinha and Paulinha is eight years older. So he doesn't have the minutes load of a typical 28 turning 29 player. It's more a 24, 25 kind of player. And that, I think, is, is another positive, another reason to consider going and getting him. Um, let's quickly move to the, the game on Thursday night. Uh, Liverpool away in the Europa League to Union, a game that has absolutely no meaning for us because we are through. But it does matter for them. Uh, a 3-0 or a, a, a win combined with a Toulouse loss, I believe, sees them go through if the score lines match up. They drew with Toulouse. Yeah, they drew twice with Toulouse. So they would it, it'll go down to goal difference between them. So they would need to win and they'd need Toulouse to lose uh, against Lask. And that would see them uh, advance. So we've nothing to play for here, Carl. So what what kind of team are we lining up? Obviously, Callagher will start. What sort of defence are we sending? Because I'm of the opinion that none of Gomez, Canate, or Virgil can start. Trent can't start and Costas can't start. Well, look, obviously we want to be playing people who are not going to be involved against Man United, give them a bit of a rest. Maybe you can send a few players who benefit from sharpness to play second half sub appearances. But by and large, we want people who are not going to be playing against United. So you've just signed Jao Polina for us, so he can captain the team. That's fine. <laughs> he can go midfield. Um, I mean, basically what you want to do here is look at people who've appeared for us this season and say, start them, and that'll do. So... Fit them wherever they fit, but James McConnell should, you know, assuming these players are fit, be in the team. Ben mm. Duck should be in the team. Uh, Drew Alconso should probably start, I suppose, because, you know, he started yeah. the weekend, which I think is probably as much to do with managing Kanate's minutes at the minute as much as anything else. So, assuming Kanate plays against United now, Kwanza can play this game from the start. Um, I think there's a little bit of a question mark over Endo, just because he's obviously started the last two, but he only played half against Palace and I assume mm. if Alexis is back Alexis goes back into the six so if that's the case start Endo again here yeah then you've got two of your three midfielders if if um, McConnell plays as well yeah and Gravenberg yeah. will be the third one surely well I mean he's started quite a few games he cannot start he, against United Carroll he well, cannot he's been start very very poor but then you know is Elliot the third one I would say you go Chambers, Endo, Gravenberg as the midfield three here. Chambers. In front of in front of a oh, not Chambers, sorry, McConnell. McCon- uh, McConnell McConnell Endo Gravenberg as the midfield three. Right. I think you go Bradley, Kwanza, maybe Gomez has to play. Something maybe has Gomez to play. has to play. And then Scanlon is left back, or Scanlon or Chambers are left back. Probably Chambers. So Bradley, Gomez, Kwanzaa, Chambers, McConnell, Endo, Gravenberg, and then Harvey, Cody, maybe? Yeah. And Doak as the front three. Like, I'd rather not play Cody, but I, I don't really know what alternative there is. I mean, could... Could Malcolm Fraundorf come in for a run? He's played for the first team before. Is there is there's minutes here surely for Cade Gordon? Uh Isaac Mabea, he's been around the first team picture, so maybe he gets minutes. I mean, Carl, I'm not I'm not even joking when I say I probably I I'd probably start someone like Harvey Blair if he's fit. Because I just uh-huh. don't want any of our first team players really playing in this game. Anyone yeah. who's likely to start against United, I don't want starting here. So one one question on that, and obviously we're not going to do a United starting 11 or anything now because there's time to go, but 
Do you think Javier, let's put himself into the conversation to start that game? I do. I, I don't so. know where. Yeah. I, I Look, I think if I look at that game against United, the back four is the back four with Costas obviously filling in for Robbo at the moment. Mo and Darwin are nailed on. Alexis, if assuming he's fit, which I assume he will be, nailed on. I think Curtis has to start. And the other two spots, I would say the two most deserving of playing in them are Dominic and Harvey Elliott. But it would mean one of them playing left wing. Mm. And I, I would prefer it to be Harvey, but I could very easily see Jürgen going Harvey, Alexis, Jones as a midfield three, and Mo, Darwin, Dominic as a front three against United. And I think on form, they're the six that deserve to start in those positions. Now, again, you can switch Harvey to left wing and Dominic back into midfield. I, I, I would prefer that, I think. But we've we've seen no inclination from Jurgen to use Harvey wide left. Um, though I, I'd like to see what it would look like, you know. I, I think you could play it as a as a four-man midfield that almost becomes a five-man midfield when Trent steps in. Um I, I ideal, ideally I wouldn't start Harvey against um against Union, but I just looking at like he's going to play a couple of senior players. No, not not that Harvey's a senior player, but you know what I mean? Like first team regular players. He's not just going to play children because he, he's going to want to at least be competitive in the game. Only one other thing I'd say is that Harvey Elliott has played with the most minutes in the Europa League so far. He's basically been a go to. He started yeah. all five well, games there. So I think he will be involved in this one again, to be honest. Yeah, I um, do as well. And, and yeah, it is hard to argue against him being included in any starting lineup because, as I said before, uh, the weekend pod, I think he's been really important for us and has shown really good impetus, let's say, coming off the bench or whatever his role has been in each game. I think he's done a really good job. So um, absolutely fair to have him involved. Bradley, you've already mentioned Scanlon or Chambers, perhaps, for one of the other sides. Again, you maybe got minutes for one of those players there. Mm. Um, Trey Nianni probably makes the bench, the young midfield kid that's maybe yeah. seemingly... I mean, look, there's a few players who have been out for the for the 21s this season and have come back recently. I'm not sure, to be honest, if all of them are on the B list because of the ages and that, but I think Bobby Clark um, was one. Malcolm Frandorf was another one who came back to, to full mm. training. So there are a few players who could be involved who haven't been, but I, like I said, I don't honestly know if they're all included on the B list because of the ages that they have. Yeah. Uh, Jay Spearing, if he could play, I'd play him because I, I, I genuinely don't care who we play. European experience. Game. He's got European experience. That's exactly did he score it. against PSV, was it? I believe he did score once in Europe. Pretty sure he did back in the day. Jay Spearing. No, no, no. No. Jay Spearing, 13 European games, the Reds, unfortunately, no goals. He must have just played well. He's in my head for that for that match for whatever reason. Do you know it's funny with Jay because it's, it felt like he was at Liverpool for a long, long time and played a lot. He only played fifty five games for us. Um, obviously, went on to play for Bolton and then did did well there. Um, went to Blackpool. Blackpool did well there and then had a decent you know decent spell at Tranmere. Uh, kind of found his level around League One. Um, but yeah, credit to him. He, he carved out a decent career in the game for himself. And uh, now, by all accounts, very highly thought of as a coach at our academy. And he's, you know, playing a role at the club for the uh, under-21s. I've, I've just realised why he's in my head for the PSV game. Why? That was his debut. So it wasn't a goal. Oh, it was his first time he played for the right, season. Right, is right. It was. Yeah, because yeah, because Rafa gave him his debut. Yeah, fair play. Yeah. Um. Right. We haven't really talked about the Union game because there's no real point. Because who knows what Jurgen's going to do? Like he he shouldn't risk anybody that's played heavy minutes and that he might want to use against United. But he is going to risk a couple because he 
there's a competitive nature to Jurgen. There's also a sporting integrity part of this as well, where if we did send over Carol, Caroline and the chicken staff, as Luis Suarez once called them, um, like, and, and let's say Union pumped us and to lose, lose, and Union sneak in, Toulouse could make a complaint that we had basically thrown the game, which they wouldn't they be... If, we, if we've used players who are registered, they can't. That's the whole point. Of the I, agreed, agreed. But they could make it... Not a, I'm not talking about an official complaint. I'm talking about just yeah, a, yeah, public, yeah. a public decry of, of our behaviour. Um, One other minor thing like. which I suppose we should mention is the prize money. It's not great in the Europa League, but if you win, it's 600,000 euros or just over 600,000 euros. Mm. So, you know, you got to get it if it's there. Yeah, a little chunk off the Paulinho fee, hopefully. Um, right, give me a prediction then for this non-important game. Um, considering if we win, draw or lose by any scoreline whatsoever, it doesn't matter. We finish top. This mm. is this is both difficult and pointless. So I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with 3-3. Three, three. I'm going to base my prediction off the team that I would pick if I was the manager and I'm going to say we lose 4-0. I'm going to go with a more interesting <laughs> prediction and say both McAllisters get on the score sheet one way or another but there could be an own goal involved. I really don't want to see Alexis McAllister anywhere near this game. <laughs> I wouldn't even let the lad travel. Him, Virgil, I'd be telling them that the plane is leaving Wednesday at five when the plane has left Wednesday at noon yeah, and they all Manchester. turn up. <laughs> yeah, literally. And uh, let, let them all stay home. Everybody who's who's going to play against United, let them all stay home. Um, right, we'll leave it there. We'll be back later this week with a more normally structured podcast around the Manchester United game and hopefully yet another tonking of United to add to our list and potentially a sacking in the aftermath for one bold Dutchman. Uh, Carol, is there anything you want to plug before we go? No. No, there we go. Right, folks, take care. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.